Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zalot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. On February 27th of this year, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued an Emergency Use Authorization, or EUA, for the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine. This EUA has reignited vigorous debate among faithful Catholics on the entire vaccine issue. Perspectives fall along a spectrum, ranging from those that maintain one can and should, in good conscience, receive any of the COVID vaccines currently available, to those that insist we have a moral obligation to avoid any of the current vaccines due to their connection with abortion-derived cell lines. The NCBC maintains that individuals must make prudential judgments of conscience with regard to COVID-19 vaccines, but how does one do so? Here today to discuss this question and other related topics is NCBC President Dr. Joseph Meany and staff ethicist Dr. John D. Camillo. Joseph and John, welcome back to Bioethics on Air. It's great to be with you. Good to be back, Joe. Great to have you guys back. So before we get into our main topic, I'd like to give our listeners maybe a little bit of perspective. Joseph, we are one full year into the COVID-19 pandemic here in the United States. How has COVID affected the NCBC and how has it affected you personally? Right. So, I mean, the pandemic, I think, has affected everybody in you know, greater or, or lesser measure, but the NCBC in particular, because we deal with bioethics issues mm-hmm. and there have been so many issues that have been raised by the pandemic and, and healthcare has been kind of at the center of the whole issue We've been uh, very much solicited, uh, both by healthcare professionals and institutions and the bishops, but, but also by the press. And I would say uh, the most dramatic change probably is, is the amount of press that we've had, uh, interviews and whatnot, to, to speak about these issues, because people do have a lot of questions. And of course, our, our free consultation service, where individuals are, are encouraged to call in and, and ask an ethicist questions that are disturbing to them or that are, that are dilemmas for them, that has also increased tremendously because I think there's just a lot more questions that people have of an ethical nature during this pandemic. So yeah, it, it's it's had a, a huge impact on, on the work that we do and of course on our focus. We've had to focus a lot on these issues. But I think another thing that's been important for the center, just as as a as an institution, is that we've had to work from home, a lot of us, you know, change change a little bit of our rhythm. Um, and uh, and that has been also challenging. How about you personally? Yeah, so on the personal level, I mean, <laughs> uh, I had only started with the NCBC for a few months, really, <laughs> the first about six yep. months or so yep. <laughs> into into becoming president when when this whole kind of thing went down. We had just had our bishop's workshop, uh, which is a big event for us every two years, and then boom, almost immediately afterwards, we were kind of in lockdown, et cetera. So it was it was a big challenge uh, of leadership. Uh, on my side. Also, you know, there were so many questions about the finances and what was going to happen and, and you know, how we could function and, and how we would respond to this. And so I had to to do a lot of, you know, thinking on the, on the, <laughs> thinking on the, on the rapid, rapid end of things. And we had to redo our website in a hurry. We had to do all kinds of, you know, big changes that normally I think the center would do kind of slowly and we had to do them Pretty quickly and um, and uh, improvise a lot of different things. So yeah, and you know, in the middle of the whole pandemic, I, I had a pretty severe health incident. I had a, a VTAC a heart attack, and so that you know sent me to the hospital. And then I was subject to a lot, and I didn't have COVID, but I was subject to a lot of the COVID restrictions. And I was even on a ventilator for a short period of time. So you know, some of these things came came to be very realistic, right? I mean. Yeah. You know, what should we do with ventilators? Yeah, I was on one actually. Um, you know, if there weren't enough to go around, I, I might have been in trouble. Um, you know, fortunately, I was I think only three and a half days in the hospital and I was out. But uh, it you know it, it did bring these things into into rapid relief. You know, as the importance of, of healthcare. Yeah, and you spoke about the whole uh, experience that you had in the hospital on a previous on a previous podcast, so our listeners can go back and take a listen there. John D. Camillo. Similar question, how has the pandemic affected your work at the NCBC and how has it affected you personally? Yeah, sure. So the biggest thing absolutely for for my work at NCBC has been 
the increase in consults. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> really, we just, oh my gosh, you oh, guys both yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> it has just been uh, amazing how many consults we have to field now. Um, I think that's been, on the one hand, it's been a big challenge to have to, to get through so many consults. On the other hand, it's been immensely rewarding to be able to um, to to see this particular unique service that we offer as a free consultation for any individual uh, with these kinds of questions to come to us and and to hear how grateful they all are. And just, you know, so many more of those comments like, oh, we're so grateful you're here. We don't know where we would go, you know. <laughs> so it's uh, it's very uh, good on that front. Of course, it is. It's a giant challenge to try to work through um, the, the massive influx. And, um, you know, it's all, almost like now I can never keep up with them anymore. Um, but uh while managing all the other kinds of work. At the same time, the amount of work has decreased with some of the institutional consultation work that I was uh, frequently doing in terms of collaborative arrangements between Catholic and non-Catholic healthcare organizations. That's kind of what my area of focus and expertise had been for a while. That's not, it hasn't disappeared. It's still going, but um, it certainly has, I think, dropped off to some extent as Catholic healthcare organizations are focusing on and dealing with a significant number of uh, internal issues uh, themselves, managing COVID situations situations and triage questions and all sorts of other issues, um, which we helped with significantly in the early months. Um, but I think now the emphasis has shifted a bit. So uh, so in any case, that's been a bit of a, a reprieve on that front as the individual consults have kicked up. Um, also, it's been in my particular case uh, with uh, six little children under age nine, uh, working from home has been a, <laughs> a, a challenge and a blessing uh, on the whole. Certainly, I think it's been a blessing for us um, more more than anything, but uh, it certainly has its struggles as well. Um, and I think that uh, it's really great uh, in the bigger picture. I, I can say that it's nice to be at a place like NCBC, uh, having been here almost 10 years now and, you know, having done my studies for with a passion in bioethics coming from basic sciences background to actually see such, you know, a major need for bioethics right now that we're living in a way we really haven't lived um, up to this point. So it's sort of like this is the moment <laughs> that uh, that we're we're doing the very work that that I've hoped to do all these years. So great. Excellent. All right, so let's move into the the main focus of our of our discussion this afternoon, and that's about forming consciences. So, in terms of forming our consciences on the on the COVID nineteen vaccine issue, it seems there are two primary questions that Catholics and really all people of goodwill need to consider. First, should I accept a COVID nineteen vaccine? That's question number one. And then secondly, if the answer to question one is yes, I should accept a vaccine, then which vaccine should I accept? So let's let's take those two questions in order. And, and John D. Camilla, we'll start with you first. So what factors should inform our conscience in terms of the first question, which was, should I accept a COVID-19 vaccine? Absolutely. So the first major point here is, I mean, I like the fact that the, the question you phrased is, should I accept the COVID-19 vaccine? Should I get a COVID-19 vaccine? The fact that that question is posed is actually ethically important <laughs> because in many situations, it's sort of a, a given. Well, of course, you're going to get a COVID-19 vaccine or, oh my gosh, you should absolutely not get a COVID-19 vaccine. I mean, no, the point is we need to reflect about this. We have to realize that it's a voluntary uh, choice whether or not to get a COVID-19 vaccine. And um, some of the grounds on which we would uh, consider that would include things like what are the uh, safety and efficacy of the vaccines? Um, what are considerations about my personal situation, my family situation, community, uh, professional responsibilities, any number of areas that, that are speaking to questions of the urgency of a need to get the vaccine? Um, and the vulnerability of myself or those around me, how great is that need? And um, this even gets to questions like, I mean, we're all familiar with and hearing, you know, all sorts of information coming from all spheres of the, the world out there um, about the data itself, about COVID-19 itself, the severity of the situation, um, the, the reliability of the vaccines. <clears throat> and so I think it's important to to simply emphasize, regardless of what the, the particular answers to those questions are, which are uh, continually being debated and, and further explored in terms of the science, um, we need to recognize that those are valid questions that people can consider. Is this 
serious enough for me to want to get a vaccine, how reliable is the vaccine, and so on and so forth. So that's the first point. We need to make sure that we're considering the safety, efficacy, um, the, the severity of the actual pandemic itself, how likely it's in, impacting me in my personal situation, um, and what the effects of that could be on those around me. Um, so, yeah. Joseph, what would you add to this? Yeah, I think that's very important. And, and one thing that I find very, very dramatic in, uh, in the whole sort of COVID-19 pandemic is that there's, there's been a little bit of a rush all over the place, you know, where people are scared and there are a lot of question marks and, you know, we kind of have this, I think, ethically unhealthy situation where people are just kind of grasping at straws and sometimes, you know, making decisions on the fly. And, and I think it's very important that we, we really reflect and discern and that we don't allow, you know, emotion to sort of cloud our decision making, but we try to be as objective as possible and, and to view this as we would any other medical decision. So, you know, no one would say, you know, gosh, uh, there's a real danger of, you know, heart disease, et cetera. I'm going to book my, you know, heart surgery right away right. <laughs> without, without, you know, looking at the pros and cons and, and trying to figure things out. You know, e even if you do have a heart problem, sure. But, you know, and you want to get a second opinion if you can, you know, and, and all these sort of things. I, I think um, in a sense, there's like so much coverage about COVID that people in some sense feel informed when maybe they've just received a lot of hype you know, and, and the type of information they have is important. It, it needs to be objective and, and as valid as possible so they, they, they can make good decisions. Right. I'd like to follow up with both of you, uh, if I could. And I, I'm wondering, I, I'm thinking back, John, you mentioned that uh, the consult numbers have gone way up and they, they very much have. The consults that I've fielded on this issue are really focused almost exclusively on the question of it it'll really be the second question we talk about in a minute about which vaccines you know which which you know what's the connection to abortion drive cell lines and everything else i really haven't heard people asking this first question you know should i accept a covid-19 vaccine I, I haven't heard it that much and i'm wondering joseph and john have has that been your experience as well too um interestingly joseph. yeah i um I agree that most of the questions I've fielded have been on on the abortion drive cell line connection, but I've had several, and and I was actually some of the, the more interesting calls that I've had just discussing with the person who was saying, you know, I'm not sure I want to take the vaccine. Um, my primary consideration really is how much I'm personally at risk from the disease, and and you know how experimental some of these vaccines are, and and. I wonder if if the risk is is worth the benefit, you know, and and they were just kind of looking at it more as a medical decision, and I thought that was actually quite refreshing, right? <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that someone would, would, would look at this as a you know just kind of objectively, you know, what facts can you share with me because I'm trying to make this decision. I don't see myself in a high risk category, and I wonder if taking the vaccine right now is the is the best choice for me. It, I thought it was, you know, a good question to be asking. Right. John, anything to uh, to add to that? Well, yeah, I certainly agree that it is it is refreshing to hear those kinds of questions. Um, at the same time, I do think it's also the case that the majority of what I'm seeing as well is people simply saying, which one is the legitimate one, you know, and in their perception of what they're hearing from various sources, you know, right. for better or for worse. It's basically like, okay, I want to get the right one. And uh, not so much is it uh, something that I that's appropriate for me to be doing here. Um, and so it's they're they're sort of in a sense jumping to the conclusion that yes, you know, I need to get it, but I just want to know which one has the least connection to abortion drive cell lines, which one is totally free. That's actually probably even almost more common. You know, people is just saying which one's totally free of any connection right. to abortion, and right. then you, you have to go through the uh, the you know difficult explanation that well, unfortunately, almost none of them that are likely to be available in the immediate future. Um, are totally free of any connection to abortion drive cell lines, which is an unfortunate factor. Um, but but this actually, I'm glad you raised this, Joe, because it is also um, an important consideration. I know you want to talk about it more perhaps in um, after this, but but I think it is part of the equation of should we accept the COVID-19 vaccine too? Um, you know, in the end, there because if in the end someone is 
you know, dis- determining and deciding that they need to make a clear witness against the use of abortion-derived cell lines in scientific research, and they don't want to use any vaccine that has any connection, well, that may end up affecting their decision about whether they get the vaccine at all, uh, because it may be, unfortunately, that we actually never end up with one. Uh, I mean, God forbid, I, I believe that we will have a vaccine that has no connection at some point, but it may take quite some time and it may be well past the the, the urgency of the moment, as it were, in terms of the, the pandemic um, uh, urge that's that's being um, uh, that, that we're living with right now. Yeah. Do either one of you think with... You know, with all the news media, and, and I try to avoid it as much as I can, but with all the coverage and, and everything that we're hearing about it, do you think people feel pressured to get a COVID-19 vaccine, even when, might, even when they might not necessarily want to get one? Definitely. One of the things that, um, that I recall is a person who lived in a, in a you know, retirement community and essentially, they were being told, uh, we're going to be vaccinating everybody. You're going to get a vaccine. You know, if you don't get the vaccine, then there will be all these consequences. Right. And basically told, you know, everyone is getting vaccinated. Get with the program. And if you don't want it, then, you know, you're not going to be allowed out with the other residents. You know, all, all your different privileges are basically going to be curtailed. And, or maybe you won't even be allowed to stay here. I, I don't remember anyone actually saying that, but there was definitely a lot of pressure being placed on some people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would echo that, Joseph. I've had several of the very same kind from elderly individuals in those kinds of uh, contexts where there it's the same thing. You know, I, I don't really feel I want to get this. I don't think I need this for whatever reasons. And they're basically saying, but if I don't, you know, they're going to curtail my ability to have social interactions with all of the other residents and, you know, I'm really concerned and in this, that, and the other. And, and it's really a, a tragedy to hear um, that kind of pressure. So I think there's definitely pressure. That's, that's one example. There are also other kinds of examples of pressure, whether it's from workplace situations or others um, that we're regularly hearing in our consultations as well. Um, I, I think there's a very strong uh, explicit or uh, implicit pressure I've heard it even in terms of just relationships. You know, I, I've spoken to people who said, oh, my gosh, you know, my sister's never going to talk to me again until I get a COVID vaccine. You know, <laughs> and it's like, this is not good. <laughs> this, is, this is really not good um, because we really shouldn't be, you know, making all of our um, social relationships, you know, dependent upon a medical decision of this sort. Um, and it's and it's an unfortunate uh, fact that there's definitely a, de- a great deal of pressure right now. I remember also one person saying that uh, there's a danger, right, of creating the the, the new lepers, <laughs> the untouchables, <laughs> who would be the folks who refuse to take a COVID vaccine because, you know, they they would have to say unclean, unclean, you know, <laughs> stay away from me <laughs> just because they had refused. We have to we have to be very careful, I think, against not stigmatizing people uh, based on on their COVID, yes. COVID vaccination yes. status, you know? <laughs> correct. Correct. Yeah, exactly. As we're talking about it, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, we also don't want to give the impression that this is, <laughs> you know, that people shouldn't be getting the vaccine naturally, where the point is that we don't want to stick. Nobody should be stigmatized, whether they're getting it or not getting it. We shouldn't be, um, you know, using that as a criterion for, uh, you know, our, our judgments about that person or any other um, special privileges or otherwise. It's it's a question of, you know, this is a medical decision that everyone should be able to make without undue coercion. All right. Really good. Excellent. All right. So assuming that one has determined that one will accept a COVID-19 vaccine, now one needs to consider which vaccine to receive. Now we're assuming that a person has a choice and we recognize that that may not always be the case. But how do we form our conscience on this question? You know, which vaccine to receive, particularly when we see a wide range of diverging perspectives, even from our bishops. So Joseph, if you could respond to that one first. Yeah, sure. I mean, it it is a difficult question, right? Because as you said in the beginning, availability is is the number one issue right now. There's just not enough vaccine to go around. and, And although they're ramping up the dosages, you know, that are available, et cetera. It's, and there's been a certain amount of chaos <laughs> in terms of like the distribution and, and availability right. and whatnot. So, so we are talking about um, an ideal situation. And some people have been critical, you know, cause they're like, you know, in our country, we don't have any COVID vaccines and you guys are complaining and you have three, you know, et cetera, such a, but, but, you know, I do think, I do think that um, 
ethical discernment is important. And, and so we shouldn't just be following, you know, what some of these politicians have been saying, you know, which is just take whatever's offered for you. Don't ask any questions and be grateful you get anything at all. You know, that type of thing. No, we, we do. We want people to discern and, and, and to see what is most available for them. And, and the absolute, you know, fact of the matter is that, that some vaccines are, you know, better for some classes of people, some groups of people than others. And, uh, you know, one of the big differences that we saw is that uh, both the Moderna and the Pfizer have this, um, have this PEG, um, I forget exactly the polyethylene glycol, I think it's called, uh, which, you know, can cause an allergic reaction in, in rare cases. And so people who have a severe allergy to that should um, should avoid that vaccine, and they would be more directed towards the Johnson and Johnson. But that one has, uh, you know, polyurethane eighty, I believe, it, in that, which can cause allergic reactions. Uh, so people who are, you know, susceptible to that should not be taking the Johnson and Johnson, and should rather go towards them. So you know, th- there are real medical reasons for choosing one vaccine or the other. But even on top of that, um, the they have different efficacy. So you know. One of the vaccines, the, the the Johnson and Johnson, is about you know, it has different efficacy depending on on where it's being tested. So globally speaking, it's it's sixty six point one percent effective. Uh, in the United States, it's a little bit better than that at preventing COVID infection, and and you know it's about eighty six percent effective at preventing severe cases of COVID, but it's still less than um, the Moderna and the Pfizer, which so far have have had. Uh, Pfizer was 95% effective and, and Moderna was 94.1%. Anyway, you know, there's significant differences there even that, that need to be taken into account. And uh, and people would be thinking about it. And and also from a strong ethical perspective, uh, there's the a link to abortion-derived cell lines that the Moderna and the Pfizer both uh, do not use any cell lines for their production. They did use uh, the HEC, the HEK, the human embryonic kidney cell line, for um, confirmatory testing to see how how effective they were at, at making the immune response, uh, the Johnson Janssen Johnson and Johnson vaccine is actually grown uh, in an abortion derived cell line. Uh, actually, it's the the Perk Six line, which uh, was recently developed, well, relatively recently, in 1995. Um, and then it also uses the HEC uh, 293 line, so it uses two abortion derived cell lines. So there's there's a closer connection to those lines. Uh, with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, but then the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, you know, is um, is only one shot, whereas the other one is two shots. Uh, you know, uh, spaced over time, and uh, it doesn't have to be kept as cold. So it might be more effective in some regions where the the cold chain can't be maintained. So there are a lot of these different questions that are in there, and, and people should really be reflecting on those in conscience. Yeah, John D. Camillo, same question: How do we form our consciences in terms of which COVID-19 vaccine we're going to we're going to choose to receive again assuming we have a choice of which one we receive. Right. <clears throat> so uh, I mean it is important I think first to just acknowledge and to state because one of the issues we also deal with in the consults you know hear a lot of um people who may be dealing with excessive scruples at times. Um, I mean, you always have the two spectrum ends, you know, people who are dealing with excessive scruples and people who are perhaps a bit too lax and not concerned enough about some uh, ethical issues. And so, but, but one of the issues I think needs to be clear is that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has said clearly that anyone can in good conscience use any of the COVID vaccines um, with respect to the connection to abortion-derived cell lines. So I mean, that point, you know, needs to be stated. So we're starting from a place where um, it's not that, you know, there is, oh my gosh, I have to figure out all these these details in, in great depth in order to avoid, you know, some kind of grave sinful situation here. Um, but there is a reality that we can and should uh, look to the full ethical picture. And of course, that's part of the work that NCBC does is, you know, we're, we're not we're not simply here to say, well, what's permissible and what, you know, can be done in good conscience. We're also here to say, hey, we want to give a complete picture of all the relevant ethical considerations so that people can, um, you know, consider if they want to, for example, give a clearer, stronger witness to the dignity and value of human life, which um, was called for also by the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith back in 2008, when it dealt with the question of whether vaccines uh, with ties to abortion-derived cell lines could be legitimately used. And at that time also said, yes, they could be used with sufficiently serious reason. 
um, but recognizing the context and the call um, to give clear witness and to remove ourselves as much as possible from those associations. So I think that, you know, that's kind of our starting point. Yes, they can all be used in good conscience. Um, and with that said, we also want to acknowledge that Yes, clearly, Janssen, Johnson & Johnson has a, a stronger connection in the very production process itself to the use of abortion-derived cell lines, whereas Moderna and Pfizer have a lesser connection because they've only used it in that testing phase. Um, as far as I, I think it's also nice to put in perspective, you know, we've had a situation for decades already. That's why the CDF uh, spoke to this issue already um, about the use of these cell lines in uh, vaccines and other uh, biomedical products. Um, and when we think about vaccines in particular, we have the MMR vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine, you have hepatitis A, um, and one of the shingles vaccines, um, Zostavax, uh, which were all vaccines and are still vaccines today that are actually produced just like the Janssen, Johnson and Johnson vaccine actually produced in an abortion derived, uh, fetal cell line. So, you know, just, again, putting things into perspective, it was to that very issue that the CDF was speaking in 2008 um, when it said that, yes, they could be legitimately used for sufficiently serious reason. Um, so, so, again, take this in mind. But we want to, we want to recognize that call, I think, that uh, everyone can and should consider to the extent that they're able, uh, whether they uh, are able to use a vaccine that doesn't have that abortion-derived cell line connection at all, or um, whether they can access one with a lesser connection without serious uh, clinical or other repercussions. Um, and just to name another you know, few relevant considerations, Joseph was rightfully mentioning, of course, the issue of allergies and um, comparing efficacies and that sort of thing. Uh, another factor is you know, some people might want to weigh the fact that uh, there's a, a two-shot regimen with the uh, Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, their mRNA vaccines, and it's just a one-shot regimen for the Janssen vaccine. Um, also, the, the length of immunity questions, you know, they're already talking about a booster shot for Pfizer. They're already working on one that may need to be taken annually even. Um, and, you know, depending on which vaccine, I, I, don't, I haven't heard uh, yet about anything on that front from Janssen's vaccine. Um, but depending on the particular vaccine technology being used, some vaccines, you know, if they're using an inactivated virus <clears throat> um, or, or something to that effect, they may actually have a longer term immunity uh, than the antibody approaches uh, that are being used by uh, Moderna and Pfizer um, and, and Janssen, where, where they're essentially trying to create simply an antibody response as opposed to a, a humoral response uh, of the immune system, which could be longer lasting. So those might be other factors people would want to consider um, as they're deciding uh, whether and which vaccine to receive. Very well stated. I'm wondering, uh, Joseph, I want to come back to you on this question. We've, we've said a lot over the past 30 minutes or so, but I was wondering, can you, can you tell us what's succinctly, what, what's the NCBC's position on the issue of which COVID-19 vaccine one can or should receive? Yeah. So I think we very much push this idea of discernment. So that I think is is very important to get the facts to know and to realize that there is a there's a serious issue here in terms of the abortion drive cell lines. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know it's it's an issue that's larger than vaccines. It, it goes all throughout you know, scientific research, um, and it's one where I think the culture of life really needs to be maintained. So in a sense, I would say that that our main point to everybody is discernment to look at it you know, and to look at what the church says, which which you can. Take any of these vaccines in good conscience if you've if you've looked at it and and uh, you're comfortable doing that. But at the same time, that you, we need to be protesting, we need to be protesting against uh, the use of these cell lines of illicit origin uh, that are very ethically problematic. Um, and 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 in general, you know the the different scientific research that is being done using these cell lines and and also using fetal tissue and, and embryonic stem cells and you know all, all these different elements. I would say that that belong to the culture of death. Um, it's important to be aware that uh, this is a major issue uh, for society in general. And, uh, you know, it's not just going to be a COVID issue. It's, it's going to be an issue that's with us. And I think there are some, some very good groups that are looking at this kind of as their only issue. Um, and, but we don't, as the NCBC, we, we have kind of a broader ethical perspective. But it is very important uh, to realize that uh, the ethics 
are there. And, and then it's an unjust situation. I, I think people need to, to be a little bit indignant, right? That, that they don't have access to a vaccine that has no connection to abortion and they have a right to that. Yeah. Uh, there, there's absolutely no you know, fatal reason why science can't produce. Uh, there are many vaccines out there that have no connections through abortion-derived cell lines. So, you know, and some of them are, are in testing and hopefully will come out soon. Uh, so clearly, uh, you know, we want to encourage the best ethics in science. And, and that means, you know, uh, vaccines that are safe and effective and have no connection with abortion. Um, and, and that's what we want to push. And so, you know, when you have a choice between two vaccines and one has a greater connection to abortion, um, that's, that's a very important factor, I would say, in your discernment. But, you know, it's not the only factor and it's not maybe the, the most decisive factor in the sense that, you know, if, if you're really allergic to that <laughs> vaccine that, um, has a lower connection to abortion, obviously you shouldn't be putting your health at risk, you know? So all these things do have to, to weigh in together. But, but I think the fundamental concern, right, that we want good, safe, effective and vaccines that have no connection to anything that we object to morally is, is kind of a bottom line demand for everybody. Yeah. John DiCamillo, anything to add to that? No, that was very well said. <laughs> okay. We can move on. I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, and, and I think, John, you mentioned this uh, earlier on, talking about our, our consults. And, and I'm hearing in our consults, and Joseph, I'm sure you are as well, too. So this divergence of voices within the church with regard to COVID-19 vaccines is really causing a lot of confusion amongst the Catholic faithful and others as well, too. So I'm just wondering, how do you respond to people who express this frustration to you? We can start with Joseph, if you'd like. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, well, I tell them that it, you know, it's it's a kind of a sign of the times. It's it's unfortunate that, in a sense, you know, um, strong faithful um, adherence to the Catholic Church's teachings is um, is I wouldn't say rare, but you know, it, it's certainly not universal. <laughs> Um, and so some people claim to be Catholic and, and uh, don't really believe what the church teaches. Another thing, too, and, and this vaccine question, you know, particularly the relationship to the abortion-derived cell lines, is one of these, I wouldn't say it's a gray area, but, but it's certainly an area where, you know, discernment is called for, right? There's not an intrinsic yes or an intrinsic no, you know, that is the Catholic position. You have a moral obligation to do this or that. And so in a certain sense, uh, it's almost inevitable that people will come down on one side or the other. Um, what I do think is that uh, we should be, you know, a little bit cautious and suspicious if someone is, is you know, being very absolutist about these questions because they are more open <laughs> uh, as far as the church is, is declared in, in its most authoritative guidance. So someone who's saying absolutely yes, you know, just take whatever vaccine, uh, no questions asked. That's not good. And someone says, "No, absolutely not. We can never, you know, touch any of these vaccines." That also is not what the church is guiding. I, I think the the NCBC tries to be as as middle of the road as possible, you know, in terms of following the virtuous mean <laughs> uh, between any any of those extremes. But yeah, it's. I think it's a little bit inevitable when when there is a discernment that's going on that some people are going to go kind of a little bit off on one side or off on the other side. And uh, even even among you know important prominent people, right? John, your response to the question of dealing with confusion? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would say <clears throat> I I always try to tailor it to the person who's expressing it, um, you know, and, and of course that's different depending on whether you're responding to an email <laughs> or you're talking right. to somebody on a phone yep. or you know or if it's a good friend or a relative, you know, I've had these these very kinds of conversations with all those different, um, you know, individuals and, and contexts. So, because many times the, the nature of the frustration uh, may be tied to something that in particular that they're bothered by. In other words, if it's just a generic, well, I'm just, you know, frustrated because the church is not speaking with one voice, 
um, you know, that's the kind of general response of, well, you know, <laughs> people, people interpret and emphasize different aspects of an issue um, and have, do have a tendency to maybe overemphasize one aspect or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody's saying, you know, something like, I don't know, the, this point about, as Joseph has rightly raised a few times here, that, you know, the, the use of the abortion-derived cell lines in research in general, which is a huge problem that we should be uh, strongly I think, um, objecting to and, and working to fight. And I think, you know, I will try to acknowledge whatever is good and true and right in what the person is saying. And so if they're saying something like, you know, hey, you know, people are, are not taking the abortion derived cell line, you know, issue seriously enough. Like this is an absolute thing. You can never take it. I'll say, well, that's not true. But what is true is that we need to be making a stronger stand and a stronger witness than we currently are or have been. For the past few decades, you know, both at the individual level and at, I think, the the church level as a whole in terms of our messaging and so forth. You know, so it's, again, trying to take what may be an absolute that somebody is is taking to an extreme and pointing out the, the kernel of truth that is in it and and giving it its rightful place in in the in the full picture so on the other end too like you know people who might be talking about well everybody absolutely should be doing this as an act of charity you know to your neighbor kind of a thing so well absolutely you know it certainly is true everybody should be acting charitably everybody should be acting prudentially and charitably and having the good not just of their self but also of others at heart Um, but we also need to acknowledge that the manner in which someone expresses the charity to self and to others has uh, individualized assessment components, including discernment of what God's will is in their particular situation. You know, so we can't just say, well, you know, the overall uh, good of herd immunity for the entire country, you know, trumps everything else. And that's what the Christian charitable thing to do is. And well, no, (laughs) it's not, you know, subsidiarity starts from the home and it starts from how is this going to affect my home? You know, me, uh, those immediately around me, my immediate family, um, and and I am, as any of us, you know, does, taking a risk whenever we take any medical intervention. And, you know, particularly when there are many unknowns with an investigational product like this, it could be also charitable to say, you know what, I don't see the urgency of the need, and I'm facing an unnecessary risk by taking it. And so I see that the charitable thing to do, perhaps in my case, is to wait another year and see how things develop because I'm not at high risk. I'm not exposing other people. You know, I'm going to take appropriate precautions, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, so I, that's what I would say is, you know, people, when they're frustrated about this kind of confusion, um, they're absolutely right because there is confusion because <laughs> it's a highly nuanced issue. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the, the answer is, in the end, we just really, I think, need to be much more um, respectful of, of one another's hearts and intentions and efforts to make good conscientious decisions rather than assuming that our particular position or decision or view on things is you know the policy answer that that every individual should be accepting (laughs) yeah yeah john i'd like to come back to you um right away on this next question it's a related question so the divergent voices that we hear on the covid19 vaccines are certainly fostering confusion but Sometimes they may seem to undermine the authority of the church, particularly when you have you know different bishops um, speaking different things. This seems to be something that the secular press, as well as enemies of the church, might try to exploit. And I'm wondering if you could comment on that. Have you seen that? And how do how do you, how would you address the, the divergence of verse, divergence of voices that we've heard from our from our church leaders on this issue? Yeah, it's a difficult question. I mean, I can't say I, I try not to follow the secular press too much. <laughs> so <laughs> Me too. I, can't, I can't necessarily speak to all the ways that they're exploiting it, but I have no doubt that they are. Right. Um, yeah, I, the enemies of the church, you mentioned, of course, we know the enemies of the church, the primary enemies of the church being uh, the devil and his minions. So, I mean, there's, I, I absolutely believe that anything that can be used to foster division in the church is right now being used to foster division within the church. Um, and, and, you know, on, on sort of a personal front, uh, as far as how this pandemic has been affecting me personally, even uh, back to one of your initial questions, I, this has actually been one of the areas that's been most poignant for me and most difficult for me is, is seeing, witnessing sort of firsthand everything falling apart around us, you know, while, we're, while being aware that so many of these issues actually are resolvable and, and are 
um, in a sense, the various views that are out there are actually compatible with one another if we don't absolutize them mm-hmm. uh, and if we put them in their proper place. But the sadness in seeing that it's ripping us apart <laughs> and that people are accusing each other and that people are, you know, turning this into, you know, to use my term from the other podcast, the weaponized charity, right? <laughs> that this is like, how are we doing this? <laughs> you know, we, we can legitimately come to different conclusions uh, and, and, uh, and the spirit can even, the Holy Spirit can be guiding us to different individualized decisions of applying charity and prudence in our case. Um, without that meaning that there is some kind of internal rupture in the church, you know? So, so I think that you're, that it definitely is being exploited, um, you know, in various ways, first and foremost, within and among Catholics. And that's been the the greatest sort of, uh, I think suffering for me personally is just witnessing it, um, you know, sort of all around me uh, happening and just thinking why, why the need, you know, for, for such division here um, when there are, rightful places for the various concerns being raised if we just give people that flexibility. So my, my wonderful wife, Serena, had a, um, uh, a, a, there was a priest who was the confessor and spiritual director for her entire family when she was growing up. And she's, she's from Italy. And um, this priest lived at the uh, Basilica of St. Anthony in Padua, where she grew up. And, uh, you know, one of the phrases I, I've learned so much about him, I never actually met him, but it's amazing how much spiritual guidance, you know, filters through. Um, but one of the things that he always used to say, which he repeats to me, you know, it's like whenever uh, Serena's mother, Rosa, would be concerned about, you know, how do I teach my children? How do I, you know, manage all these different crazy situations that, that come up? Um, and he would always say to her, you have to be firm and solid on the, the substance and loose on the details and loose on the, the peripherals, uh, maybe is the way of putting it. I'm translating from Italian and speaking here, sorry, <laughs> didn't quite. So it's, you, have to be, you have to be solid and firm on the substance, on the core, and you have to be looser with regard to the peripherals, those things which can in fact vary from one situation to another, allowing a certain range of freedom. And the Catholic Church has generally done that as part of the church's wisdom in approaching so many uh, of these moral issues throughout time is in enabling wherever there is that room, allow for that room, so long as we're being clear and solid on the inviolable core um, of, of these issues. And so that's, you know, what I would like to, to see more of, you know, I, I'd like to see more of, uh, our bishops and our, our leaders within the church, you know, being firm and solid on the core and not necessarily getting too far into the weeds, um, and, you know, sort of suggesting perhaps, uh, courses of action or, or general ethical conclusions about matters that actually can and do vary in prudential judgment. Joseph Meany, same question. Do the divergent voices we hear on the COVID-19 vaccine undermine the authority of the church? I mean, it, it is unfortunate. Uh, we, we would hope that uh, you know, the, the most authoritative Catholic voices um, speaking on behalf of uh, you know, church teaching from Rome and, and, uh, and among our, our various bishops would, would all be you know, in perfect accord. And it would be, I guess, in an unfallen world. Uh, but uh, the the reality is, right, that, that there is a certain certain division, and and I think you know even more so on this issue, which you know people can discern very differently um, their their choices. In a certain sense, it, it lends itself even more so to to kind of different voices uh, speaking out. And, and I I would very much. Um, Agree with John D. Camillo that uh, it's important to to push charity here. Um, that uh, in a sense we have to be as understanding as possible when when some individuals maybe misspeak, um, and and also to you know look at this as a, as a real opportunity in a sense uh, for our own personal discernment. Um, that uh, you know people people in some sense uh, I get a, a feeling like to be told, you know, this, that, and the other in a, in a very small soundbite, but, but perhaps not go through the, their own work of having discerned themselves. Um, and the, the church really does require that uh, more than just for COVID, you know, <laughs> for, for, for in general, how, how we uh, behave, uh, our conscience has to be leading us. Right. And that means we have to be exercising it and, uh, and really trying to form ourselves and, and understand more. So 
I would push people to go to as authoritative as possible sources. Um, you know, there's a real danger to kind of get caught in in some kind of feedback, you know, where the only kind of news that we're getting is slanted from one perspective or another, um, or there's a kind of, you know, feedback loop going on where we just kind of associate only with people that we agree with. And in a certain sense, we know we have to be a little bit more open and, and investigate and try to understand what's the most objective truth here that I can sink my teeth into. And, you know, what is the church really saying from the most authorized sources and, and, the, and the best groups and the most holy people that I know. It's important to do that because uh, you can certainly find a Catholic figure, you know, saying one thing or the opposite if you really look. Uh, but if you look for the most authoritative guidance, I think usually you'll, you'll find it's, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. All right. So our final, I guess, substantive question for our interview today, the NCBC has issued a press release and it will soon be publishing a newly revised version of its statement titled Considerations on COVID-19 Vaccines and Abortion-Derived Cell Lines. Aside from what we've already discussed here in this podcast today, what else do we say in either of these statements? Joseph first, and then we'll go to John. Yeah. So so I think the 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 main points we've probably covered <laughs> but but the the main point i think of the press release itself was that people have to discern you know that this is a, this is definitely a decision that uh, people should not be making lightly they should not be under pressure they should you know in in as calm and as reasonable and objective a, a fashion uh, study the issue and and decide you know what is right for them in their own particular circumstances and, you know, our updating of our statement is really to add uh, more of the guidance that has come out from the church, um, from the congregation, from the doctrine of the faith, uh, to add a little bit more as well about, you know, the different factors that go into discernment that are important, you know, not just the abortion-derived cell lines, but other factors that are that are key uh, to add in the, you know, Johnson & Johnson, uh, because that had not been approved yet when the, when the statement first came out. So all those different things to try and address that. But I think the um, the main points have been covered. That we want people to to really look at this as as an important issue, and then not one that's decided ahead of time. Right. That they really need to look at it and and make their own decision that uh, that they're comfortable with and that uh, they see as right. Yeah. John DiCamillo. I think Joseph covered it nicely again. <laughs> All right. Final words of wisdom. John DiCamillo, what uh, words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? Uh, I don't think I would. I have much wisdom left. <laughs> from, I mean, I just that the point that I made before already. I guess I would say, you know, that it's. I'm really just. I think we as as Catholics as Christians need to be focused now almost more intensely on um, on that charitable approach to others uh, that Joseph also mentioned, uh, you know, where we need to recognize that people can take different positions on this without meaning that they're violating church teaching or committing any grievous moral wrong or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, tone down, I think, some of that um, division that is is growing deeper in our church. You know, as, as our Lord said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Um, and, you know, I, I think we maybe this is uh, another another way of putting it. Uh, one thing I've thought about is it seems that when we take absolute positions on this issue in particular about the vaccinations, um, there's almost a sense in which we, we risk making the physical life and the physical um, reality an extreme. In other words, uh, you know, people who are, who say, well, um, I'm going to, I have to get vaccinated all course and everybody should get vaccinated because of what? Well, because of fear of physical, of disease, of, you know, spreading disease, of stopping disease, of not becoming healthy. You know, these are, these are aspects of our material and physical, uh, reality and they have a rightful place, but we know that the spiritual is, uh, higher. It's more important. You know, we should not be so fearful of what can kill the body so much as what and who can kill the soul, uh, and, and so I think that's 
that's a point, you know, that we should keep in mind. We want to keep the priority on spiritual things, on an inner peace, on that inner charity toward one another, um, and accepting that people can come to different conclusions on this in good faith without questioning their motives. <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, and also not go to the opposite end of saying, you know, no vaccines at all. Uh, because again, I think there's also veiled in that, you know, uh, total rejection of, um, a vaccination as something that is either too dangerous or, or whatever the, the connection is to the past uh, abortion-derived cell lines, there can be a danger even there of actually overemphasizing something physical. You know, again, whether it's that physical derivation from the past abortion or whether it's the, um, uh, the idea that, well, there are some great risks to this that could hurt me if I take this vaccine that are so great, you know, that I, I should never, nobody should ever get vaccinated. Uh, that's, again, a physical concern about the body. Um, so maybe that would be my, my call, uh, to say, let us all try to focus on the inner spiritual dimension of this issue and of these decisions and let us be at peace, whether it's with a vaccine or without a vaccine, let us be at peace with one another. You know, John, every time you come on these podcasts, you preface your answer to that question by saying, I have no words of wisdom, but you always say things that are quite wise. So <laughs> that's me. It's not me then. <laughs> Is it the Holy Spirit working through? Uh, well, that's what we'll say. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Joseph, last word. What final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? Yeah. Well, no, I would ask them to, to really pray for us at the National Catholic Bioethics Center that, that we do our jobs well, because we do have so much um, contact with with individuals who need answers and institutions and, and the church. Um, so, you know, that, that the NCBC will be wise in, in the counsel that we give and, and prudent as well. I think um, the COVID-19 pandemic has given a real opportunity for people to think about some of these issues, to, to raise some issues, uh, particularly about the vaccines that had not been discussed very much in recent years and uh, has now come back to the fore and, and the greater issues there about scientific research and, um, and not exploiting you know, abortion, et cetera, for, for scientific purposes. I think all these things are, are potentially a great good that could come out if, if we really kind of follow through in our thinking about these issues. So I think that's great. And I think the other thing uh, that we we do need to emphasize is the spiritual side of things uh, that, you know, there are a lot of temptations that one can fall into um, in a time of pandemic. And we have to definitely resist that and, and to have a strong life of prayer because uh, we are in exceptional circumstances and therefore uh, we need renewed um, spirituality and, and prayer to, to come through this well. So it's, it's, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but we can rise to that challenge. And so that's a, that's a real opportunity. Joseph Meany and John D. Camillo, thank you for joining me on Bioethics On Air. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. For more information on these topics and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics On Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you would like to subscribe to our Bioethics Public Policy Report, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcasts, please go to our website, hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button, and then click Bioethics On Air. Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215-877-2660 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on Ask a Question. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.